from the only true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May you receive grace and peace that fill your hearts with joy as you believe in our Savior who has given us the gift of eternal life. And as you listen to his word, amen. Our text is that read from the Gospel, or excuse me, from Acts of the Apostles, chapter 14, the last several verses there, where it says, From Italia they, that would be Paul and Barnabas, sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. And on arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. In the name of Jesus, my dear brothers and sisters and fellow believers in Jesus, you ever wonder why it has taken so long for Jesus to come back again? Over 2,000 years. We're here still today when the disciples were sent out to the world and from their writings, they, we know they were eager for Jesus to come back and were expecting he could come back at any time. And now it's 2,000 years later, but if we think for a moment, we remember the promise that God gave to Adam and Eve in the garden that he would send the one to crush the serpent's head who had led them into sin and brought corruption, death, destruction, and decay into the world. And they waited thousands of years for that promise to be fulfilled. And Jesus said to his disciples as we read, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every person. Teach them to obey all the things I've commanded you, and I'm, lo, I'm with you always to the very end of the, the earth and the age. It's because of the love, compassion, grace, and mercy of our God that it's 2,000 years after the Life, suffering, death, resurrection of our Savior, His appearance to His disciples, that the earth still stands because He elected, chose, called you and me 2,000 years later. We wouldn't have the opportunity to go to heaven if the Lord had not allowed the earth to stand for these 2,000 extra years. And He has equipped and enabled us to take the message which He has filled our hearts with, the message that we believe, and He wants us to share it. In our text, we're talking about a man named Paul who went on a first missionary journey. But you know, he was known first in the Scriptures as Saul, who was present at the death of Stephen. 
the first martyr that was stoned. And he's there collecting the garments of those who stoned Stephen. And you know how he was breathing fire and persecuting the church of God and on his way to Damascus. Jesus himself appeared to him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? After Jesus called him, and after he went into Damascus and was baptized, more than a decade passes where Saul was literally taught by Jesus, even in desert regions and remote regions, and prepared for what we find in Acts chapter 13 and following, that he's in a group and a congregation where they were first called Christian in Antioch, north of Syria, at the junction kind of between Asia Minor and the Promised Land. A congregation in Antioch. And it says that they were gathered together. You look at Acts chapter 13. You go home when you read that. And it says they were gathered together and the Holy Spirit set aside Paul and Barnabas, sent them on the first missionary journey. And when they were finished, they came back and reported all that God had done and how he'd opened a door of faith. I want you to know that God is still doing those great things today. And it's my opportunity to share with you something that has spanned my lifetime, which is God at work in countries in South Central Africa. How God has been with us there and opened a door of faith. And I want that to encourage us to always be filled with the gospel of our Lord and what it does for us and have a zeal to reach out with that message wherever we are and wherever he plants us even today. But Paul, out of Antioch, with Barnabas, it says, they went to the coast, Seleucia. They sailed down to the island of Cyprus in the Mediterranean. They went from end to end. Salamis, the paper. It says they were in the synagogues. They were preaching the message of the Savior. It says they went from there, from Paphos, up under the bottom part of Asia Minor, Pamphylia, Perga, Italia, and up into another town, similarly called Antioch, where they preached in the synagogue. Had people on fire excited to come back the next Sabbath day to hear the message. But both in Cyprus and later on in Antioch, there was opposition to what they were doing. They were literally driven out of Antioch to the nearby city of Iconium. Opposition followed them. They went to Lystra, also to Derby. Probably a two-year span of time when they went back to those cities again, Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, down to the coast and back to Antioch in Syria where they brought the message of what God had done. The opposition that they faced on Cyprus, it was a certain sorcerer called Helaman. He had the ear of the governor, Sergius Paul. And Paul was so unhappy with the disruption and distortion of this Elemis, the sorcerer, that he struck him with blindness. And then Sergius Paulus, the governor, believed. When they were up in Antioch, where Paul preached a sermon about the Savior, Jesus, the descendant of David, and how David was dead and buried in his tomb, but Jesus was alive and well and ruling from heaven, 
it says they were welcome to come back the next Sabbath day and preach again. But jealous Jews were in opposition to them. And they literally eventually chased them from Antioch to Iconium. They followed them there when the same kind of reception occurred with Paul preaching in the synagogue and gathering many people. They wanted to stone him, it said. And so they had to move on to Lystra. And there a unique event occurred. Paul found a man who was lame from birth. He healed him, enabled him to walk. And it says then, the people that saw what had happened tried to worship Paul and Barnabas as if they were gods, calling them Zeus and Hermes. Imagine that. And Paul had to say, no, we're human beings like you, but we have a message about God, the Savior. And it's by his power we're able to do this. And you know, the, the Jewish opposition followed them, even to Lystra. And they were able to change the hearts and minds of the people there so that they did take Paul out and stone him outside of the city and he was left for dead. His time was not yet done. After they abandoned him and went, thought he was dead, he got up with his fellow believers and on to the next city of Derby. Preached there. Came back to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, Haman. Pulled all these things. And you know that was only the first missionary journey. We know of several other missionary journeys that he went before he was probably killed in Rome under one of the persecutions. Amazing things. Reporting all that God had done, how he'd been with them, and also how he opened the door of faith. As I said, I'm a relatively old man now, born in 1946. And I say that, because in the very next year, this is of course after the Second World War, in 1947, the Wisconsin Synod had a convention and two full-time pastors from the state of Michigan approached that convention and said to them, now that we have peace in the world, we need to be a church body that's hearing the words of Jesus to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every person. We call foreign mission work work among the Apaches in the southwestern part of the United States, which is fine, but we need to get across the seas <coughs> and preach to those people there. And so they were given a commission to go on a journey in 1949. Again, these were two full-time pastors that got leaves of absence from their congregations. And they went here to the city of New York in 1949 so that they could board a ship. They had with them a fully equipped ambulance that they were going to use for their journey. Put it on the ship. The ship sailed from New York down to the southern tip of Africa at Cape Town. They went inland over a period of six months. There's a little booklet written about that called the 49ers. All the adventures that they experienced, people that they met, like Albert Schweitzer, you've probably heard of that name, and they were led into the interior, thousands of miles from Cape Town, into what was a colony called Northern Rhodesia. Now it is the country of Zambia. And from all the things that they experienced, they believed that God was leading them to do mission work in this particular place. 
They came back and reported to the Synod and Convention, and it took until 1953, and then two men were sent, Aben and Sigurd, were sent to the colony of Northern Rhodesia, and they began work in an area west of the capital city of Lusaka, a place called Mwembezi, about 40 miles to the west. About a decade later, in 1963, those two original men were gone, and now there was a staff of six on the field. Some older, experienced missionaries, Pastor Sauer, and there was a, a man named Pastor Wenlin, my father, had been called the year before to start the schools that would train Africans to be their own spiritual leaders and, and eventually pastors. And there were two young men, Cox and Miller, uh, the son of Pastor Missionary Cox, uh, Miller, is our pastor in Watertown, Wisconsin, Timothy Miller. Two other names, Sewall and Schweppe. Does the name Schweppe ring some bells? His son, Paul, I believe, was the first resident missionary here in 1970. I knew Paul because we were on the field in 1962-63, and he was a bit younger than I. By 1973, I had completed my training at the seminary. I had served a year in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in a mission congregation, and then I was called to Africa. And I served in what had been the colony of northern Rhodesia, but now had become the independent nation of Zambia. And my first place of serving was at Wembezi, where those first two men, Haban and Ziegler, had been sent, out in the rural area west of Lusaka. I was there for several three years, and then finally went up onto the Copper Belt, because you see what had happened is from that central location of Wembezi and then Lusaka, the work had spread out both to the country of Nyasaland, now known as Malawi, to the east, and also to the Copper Belt and to the far ends of the land. There was opposition. I talked about the sorcery or witchcraft in Cyprus. Witchcraft is so prevalent in Africa. Their natural belief and religion teaches them that there is a God who created everything. They have that natural knowledge of God. They believe some superior being created everything that they see that exists. But they believe that that God absents himself from the world, is not interested anymore in what takes place here on earth. And what they have to be concerned about are the spirits of people who preceded them, their ancestors who have died. They believe that those spirits can influence things in their everyday life and that they have to do whatever they can to appease and pacify those spirits. And so you see there's a great opportunity for witch doctors who believe that they can and, and say that they can use medicines and things that they create to offer them to people who want to appease the spirits. One time when I was driving in the rural area of Zambia, I was with one of my co-workers and we were in a, in a pickup truck and he, and he said, stop here, Pastor. I said, okay. And he took us across a field, left the car, picked up, parked on the road. We went into a, in an area that was a grove of trees. And when we got into that grove of trees, I saw a little stand made out of wood on which were pots and pans and some vegetables and things. 
And I said to him, what is this? And he said, this is a shrine. People come and prepare these things and offer them as a sacrifice to the spirit of a chief who had died and who they believed could bring rain. Bless them for their crops. I could tell you all kinds of stories about the superstitions that enslaved them and the struggles they had even when they came to know that Jesus has freed them from the enemy and God loves them and sent His Son to suffer and die for them. And the struggles that they have coming up from these customs to know the Lord and Savior. In addition to the, the problems we faced with the witchcraft and sorcery, there were other problems too. A lot of wars taking place at that time, crime. The, there were two Rhodesias, a northern Rhodesia and a southern Rhodesia. Northern Rhodesia became Zambia. Southern Rhodesia became Zimbabwe. But before it became Zimbabwe, it had a significant number of expatriates who actually ran the economy. And in the 60s, they declared themselves independent and, and tried to form a nation. The independent nations of, uh, to the north of them, Zambia, uh, Tanganyika, which is now Tanzania, Kenya, and other independent African nations formed kind of an alliance to try to free that Rhodesia to become the Zimbabwe that it is today. But so there was war and tension. Even when I was living in Andola, we sometimes had to have block, blackouts because planes would be sent from Rhodesia. One time I was conducting a worship service in a rural area under a tree. Beautiful sunshine. I heard a strange thunder. Boom. Boom. I didn't know what it was. I went back to the city I was living in, in Andola, and I listened to the BBC on the radio, and what it told me was that planes had come up from Rhodesia and bombed a camp where there were people being trained, freedom fighters, terrorists, depending on your point of view. And of course, because of the predominant uh, expatriate nature, Europeans that were running the ship in Rhodesia, there was a report of a white man in that area Maybe he was a spy to locate where the bombs should be dropped. No, I was conducting a worship service. Because of the wars, crime, we had to be careful. Security. I can recall one time over 40 years ago, coming back from an activity at night and parked in our driveway, and men cut us off. In a vehicle behind us. We had a gate. We were trying to enter that gate, but we were caught on the driveway slip above the ditch. A couple of men with guns came out, pointed them, and the two that had the guns, there were actually four altogether, but two that had the guns, one, one was very nervous and jumpy, and I knew at a certain point in there, I said from the psalm, Lord Jesus, into your hands I commend my spirit. I, I believed he could shoot that gun. Now, God rescued me, obviously. I'm still here today. They got away with that vehicle, lurched into the distance because it was a stick shift and they had it in third gear. And, and a report came from the police to whom we had reported that the very next night, those men with our car, the guns they pointed at me, and so on, got into an argument with people in the rural area where they're eating and drinking 
and they took the same guns and shot and killed a man. Wounded another one and drove the vehicle into a tree. They tried to escape. God with us works out all things for good. Like the Apostle Paul, who was raised up when he was stoned and left for dead, if it's not God's time, he will enable you to have life. Obviously, I'm here with many adventures and experiences since that time. But the important thing of what happened on Paul's first missionary journey was to come back and report what God had done and how he had opened the door of faith. Sergius Paulus, the governor of Cyprus, the people who were gathered at the synagogue in Antioch in Asia Minor, all the congregations that Paul formed in Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. You know, the letter to the Galatians in the New Testament is Paul's letter to those congregations. Peter later wrote to them. God had opened a door of faith. The gospel was being proclaimed, and Paul continued his work, as we know. In Central Africa, Zambia, and Malawi, the work as I said, was begun in 1953 with the two resident missionaries. My father, in 1962, sent to start the Bible College and Seminary, which still exists today. Over a hundred men have been trained as pastors, even with languages like Greek and Hebrew. The word has been spread throughout Zambia and Malawi. I can recall a period of time when we were living, my wife and I, after my time in Zambia, I went back to the country of Malawi in the 90s. Ruth, our daughter, pastor's wife here, was born in 1993 there in Blantyre, Malawi. During that time, as I was serving in a as a missionary in the rural area, by God's grace, I had a notebook that I kept records of I baptized over 2,000 infants, over 350 adults, and confirmed adults and teenagers about 1,500, just in about a six or seven year span. God has opened a door of faith. The pastors that are there preaching the gospel message, an older brother who came back with me. We studied and completed our college training in 1968 in Watertown, Wisconsin, where I live today. He came back to Africa, and has all his life, as he got a, a master's and a doctorate in languages, involved in Bible translations. He serves at the seminary. He's on a furlough today, back from Zambia, but he's going back in September for one more year. God has opened a door faith, and I want us to be excited about this. We have an opportunity here to reach out with a gospel message led by your new young pastor, Pastor Tim. And I want you to be excited about, sometimes it's so discouraging when things go bad for us, seemingly, but God has promised, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. God is at work. 
seeking out and calling his elect, bringing them to know the Savior who came to this earth 2,000 years ago, who lived perfectly in our place, who suffered and died on that cross but rose again. And though we don't see him, he is still here today. Two or three are gathered in my name, my image. His goodness. God is opening doors of faith. Be part of it. Be excited about it. Support it. Pray for it. Work with it. God grant us the will, the zeal, until our Savior Jesus comes again. To serve Him with that gospel message. To fill our own hearts with it. Reach out to others with it. Amen.